thrilled that you're joining us today, Mr. Ryan Lex, the nationwide head of underwriting at Movement Mortgage. Um, for all of you tuning in, most of you are real estate professionals. My goal here is to bring tremendous value to all of you in the real estate community. And uh, if you hear that underwriting is the topic of conversation, I'm sure you think that's going to be boring, but I promise you, Ryan is a very captivating guy. and. Uh, it's tough to find somebody with the skill set of underwriter expertise combined with uh, an outgoing personality with people skills. And so I'm really excited that uh, you're here with us and I'm thrilled to have you on my team. I decided to rep my movement gear. I've got my basketball jersey on today because when I'm out in the field, I am preaching and selling you all day every day because my operations team is what differentiates i think our operations is what differentiates movement from our competition and um, this gives you an opportunity to share some of your expertise with the world so tell me tell me a little bit about your position ryan and uh yeah turn it over yeah man thanks for thanks for uh for starters, for you know, allowing uh, me to humanize underwriting, right? I think when a lot of people think of underwriting, they think of um, some, you know, someone with blue hair and a bad attitude, right? Uh, and uh, and I grew up in a mortgage world where that wasn't a thing, um, and uh, so to be able to personify underwriting, right, and to hopefully take some of the myths and the the wives' tales away um is uh, is a huge opportunity also i'll apologize i'm in virginia beach uh so if you hear jet noise flying over they like to say that that's the sound of freedom here so uh apologize in advance if you guys hear that but yeah uh, i've been with movement for 10 years been in a lot of different roles worn a lot of different hats figuratively and literally um and for the last couple of years i've worked directly for our uh, our coo and charge of underwriting um and uh what's what's in what's interesting about movement in that capacity is underwriters don't work for me right so i get to come alongside them as a as a colleague and as a co-worker um and as you know and and, and you know very high level uh, overview our ops uh structure is is based on communities right small communities throughout the nation that work in different campuses um so i get to act as a resource for for ops and sales inside of those communities um, and, and able to to come alongside them and, and enable to help them uh, use guidelines. I like to say I like to weaponize guidelines, right? Use them in a, in a proactive way to say yes uh, and enable them to uh, feel um, outfitted with uh, a certain level of agency, right? Where they can make their own decisions um, and, uh, and, and they're able to say yes, right? That's the great thing about being an underwriter of movement is uh, that they can always say yes. And it takes a village to say no, but they're always allowed to say yes. So that's uh, that's kind of a high level day in life for me is just coming alongside those folks. I love it, I love it. I was gonna save this question for later in the talk, but since you talked about you know being proactive and trying and fighting to say yes, weaponizing guidelines for the betterment of the loan officers that are originating these loans and the real estate professionals that likely had a role in uh, directing traffic and influencing clients to work with their movement loan officer to seek financing. Um, tell me, go deeper there. Like, tell me your attitude and your outlook on saying yes versus saying no. Because I know I've worked at many different places in the mortgage industry, and a lot of times it felt like I was fighting with my underwriting to uh, get them to say yes. And I didn't like that adversarial relationship with my underwriting staff. So tell me about that. Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard uh, new recruits, people that want to come check movement out, lift the hood. I've met uh, folks at other um, companies through seminars and things like that. And, uh, and I had heard a term used once in regards to underwriting. They call it underwriting the sales prevention department. And that was, that was hilarious and so frustrating and sad for me at the same time because I represent underwriting and I don't want to represent that misnomer, that, that mindset or that philosophy. Uh, but I also thought that that was hilarious. But it also gave me a huge amount of, uh, a tremendous amount of pride in that you guys aren't referring to us at Movement that way, right? Uh, we're, we're the opposite. Again, we're weaponizing guidelines and, and we're using them to find 
creative ways to say yes. So yeah, I mean, to dig deeper there, um, the you know, just the ability to reach out to the agencies, right? So a loan officer could call me on something, and I'm a I'm a huge believer in in naivety as a resource. Naivety is a tool. It's a it's an it's an asset uh, to be able to call Fannie or Freddie or FHA or VA with a with a sense of um, curiosity. If anyone has ever watched the show Columbo, right? I love to be Columbo sometimes on, on loans and, and, and talk to Fannie and Freddie and say, well, I didn't know that, you know, playing a little naive or being naive um, inherently and, and not knowing everything. None of us were born knowing this. So calling the agencies and, and asking, well, why not? Or if not this way, then how um, to be able to at the exact same time, inversely, being an expert in a lot of these guidelines and knowing them so well that you can use language and the way that they're written in a way to not be disingenuous or not to, to, to do anything unsavory, but to just leverage it in a perfect capacity, uh, literally, right? Um, and knowing when the balancing act, when you have, a, if you were to send me a loan, a conventional loan, knowing why Freddie is not maybe that loan closes no matter what but maybe it's the difference in closing it in 10 days instead of 14 because freddie is easier on this path so being able to utilize the nuances and dig into the nuances um and, and having the culture that the very first thing i ever learned at movement day one i've been at movement over 10 years my first lesson was i worked for the loan officer when that's in our when that's our culture and that's an axiom of our success you have you know not just me and 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 you know and my capacity but everyone in, in every seat in the trenches working in operations working for the loan officer um it, it that culture goes back to how can i find a way to call jeff and tell him yes and know that you get to call your realtor partner and tell them yes and then they get i've always been a, a firm believer that if we all serve our customer so on a purchase transaction, it's my belief that your customer is the agent, the agent's customer is the buyer, you're my customer. So if we all have the same level of customer service, the same mindset of how am I serving my customer and everyone else is worrying just about serving their customer, we can't do anything but succeed, right? When the rules right. are, are uh, you know, um, being utilized appropriately. So um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tangents we could go down about getting specific, but Man, we just try, I try to use the guidelines. I try to use this level of excitement, right? I don't think you're gonna to talk to a lot of underwriters out there that get stoked, right? To talk about guidelines and how to how to twist them, math, how to calculate things really creatively within the confines of the of the guidelines. Um, just any way that I can come back to you. I would rather spend eight hours finding a way to say yes to one loan than the same eight hours saying no to, to 300. There's no reward in that. There's no benefit. It doesn't keep my lights on for starters. But secondly, and more importantly, it there's no there's no, there's no I, I'm not excited about that. It doesn't do anything for me. I right. want the Rubik's cube. I want to solve the puzzle. So 100%. that's uh, that's 100%. that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah, I love the the chain reactions of celebrations. I'm a I'm a fiery, excitable guy myself, and so I just I live for those celebrations. I yeah. live for those those tough loans where you got to get creative. You got to massage the guidelines work with the experts i know enough to be dangerous but i don't live in the trenches as an underwriter all day every day right. and just like real estate agents are leaning on their lender as one of their team members i lean on you as one of my team members and then it's really cool to hear you talk about some of those relationships that you have with people at the agencies because in your tool belt and people that are on your team you have people at the agencies so it's a chain of command it's agent yeah. it's lender it's underwriter all the 100%. way to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and I think it should be really exciting for a lot of the real estate agents out there to hear that there is this level of relationship in this people business 100%. that goes all the way to the agencies and I think that people you know sometimes either forget that or they maybe don't know that that even the behind the scenes people in mortgage lending I always refer to underwriting is like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains. <laughs> Even yes. at the underwriting level, there are interpersonal relationships with people outside of our company that are decision makers at Fannie Mae, at Freddie Mac, at FHA, at BA. And, and you guys have 
personal relationships with some of those people. So if you don't have the answer and you have questions, you know exactly where to go. The other thing exactly that I wanted right. to latch on to, Ryan, is you talked about like knowing the nuances of maybe if we go with Freddie Mac as the investor for this particular loan, we can shorten the closing timeline by four or five days. Throughout my entire career, I've played the speed card. Speed kills in any competition. And in a lot of the housing markets that we've faced over the years, it's been cutthroat competition, multiple offers, trying to beat out other buyers for the same home. And speed is a big differentiator. And this really like personifies the underwriting process and how critically important it is to get a file into the system and through this process that is really happening behind the scenes the public doesn't see it the home buyers don't see it the sellers don't see it the agents listing side by side they don't see it right. but i see it and we talk all the time and i know how critically important it is and it's a huge competitive advantage when you have a team a cast of characters hidden behind the scenes processing underwriting doc drawing funding compliance disclosures all those people we need them and they're a part of our team and you know i want to expose those team members to the sales force that's boots on the ground in every one of these housing markets absolutely absolutely yeah it's huge to um for the a you know uh for for them to be acknowledged or i i always say to hear your name and the numbers right when every uh friday morning meeting right every friday movement has a friday morning meeting the entire company joins and we talk about what we've done and what we have left right and i i remember when that was millions not billions and uh to know as a processor that i funded this much last month last week and to hear my name in those numbers it begins to just like a loan officer right i i, I know what my pipeline was i know what i have left and to be able to to see my input in the in the larger picture uh, you get the macro and the micro right and to be able to think about the the joneses in their new home uh that just moved to town or the veteran that just you know got stationed somewhere that's incredible and then to hear your contributions to the organization overall uh, you put those two together and there's a certain sense of um, pride and, and ownership in what you're doing but then for sales for someone like you to to consider the different spots you know down the conveyor belt right um, and to have a, a level of acknowledgement is um, because we are behind, we are back at house, right? We are yeah, behind. Like it, I want to just, it feeds me. It brings a smile to my face. It speaks to my heart when you talk about the individuals or families or couples that you see tied to every one of these loans because i think the perspective from some of the real estate agents in the community but also loan officers at times are guilty of well the underwriters just looking at it as paper they're just looking at it as qualifications it's just pay stubs it's just I, assets I, you and you're, you're forgetting that it's a person this underwriter doesn't care about this person and what you're telling me is you care you right. care deeply about Dude. every one of the files and you want to fight tooth and nail to say yes because you know that's gonna put a roof over the head of yeah, a family i've been a customer right i mean i've bought i've, I've bought a house i've bought cars i've gone out to eat anywhere you go where you're a customer um you're not asking to be doted on any more than you know anybody else but you're just asking for a, a just a normal level of customer service if someone goes above and beyond of course that's wonderful right but just a just a a, a respectful uh level of customer service um and to, to to have been a customer in any capacity right and then to work and i work in customer service i think a lot of I think that there's a zeitgeist, right? Or, or just a, a, a philosophy out there that, like you said, personifying underwriting where, I don't, A, I don't think every loan officer and mortgage companies across the, the country or, or realtors think that underwriting is customer service. And more importantly, and probably truthfully more you know, uh, depressing is I don't think that every underwriter out there knows that they work in customer service so to work in customer service and to just to want to redirect what what we all it's the golden rule right treat others as you want to be treated uh, yeah. one of the greatest things that i that i've gotten in my career are the closing pictures the videos the the you know the family holding up the big key or the sign or a quick video from closing 
that whether I worked on the file or not, man, that is just like the greatest thing. So yeah, to, to be able to to represent underwriting, not just a movement, but I hope across the nation as as um, as someone who yeah cares. I care, of course I care, because I, I would want the same level of customer service and treatment. Yeah, it's um, it's a sad truth that it's just not always out there. I think I think we've I think we've come a long way in the last ten years. I think we've come a long way um, and kind of beaten down that old mindset. But I think there's a ways to go. That's awesome. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know how valuable it is, and I know how important you are to all of the loan officers at Movement and all of the families that are trying to buy homes and all of the real estate agents that are tied to those transactions. So I want to keep this moving. And I collected questions from many real estate agents that I know and that I have built relationships with over time throughout my career. And so I'm going to start lobbing some of these questions at you. (laughs) Maybe we can spend just a couple of minutes on each of these and you can touch on them. And so uh, right out of the gates, I want to start with, tell me what is an underwriter? What does an underwriter do? And better yet, is there subjectivity in what you do as underwriter? Or is it 100% objective? uh, You want to make it work and you just can't. Talk about that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the underwriter. Um, I'm going to say everything from the from the sake of your from the excuse me the perspective of movement. Um, but generally, the underwriter is the one making the credit decision, right? They're the one looking at uh, credit collateral capacity. Um, they're the ones based on how the loan is uh, is submitted to them. If you submit a conventional loan, the underwriter is looking at it through this conventional lens. If it comes in FHA, VA, they're looking at it through that lens. A good underwriter would know when it's time to call the loan officer and talk about an audible, an audible excuse me. Um, but they're the ones that have that final say for yes at movement again. Uh, they can always say yes. The, uh, the underwriter is going to be the one who conditions the file. A lot of people say the word stip. Uh, or condition, they're going to go say, hey, these are the bank statements we need, the pay stubs, this is what I need on the credit report, things like that. Uh, and they're going to be the ones that that make that final decision based on the, the agency feedback, right? Um, subjectivity. Yeah, I think I'd be lying if I said that there's not an, an area or an opportunity for, for a little personal flavor. Um, I think that, um, you know, if, if John gets a speeding ticket on the way to work, right? Um, is he going to deny the Smith file? No, he can't. Is it is it going to be any harder? I don't think so. Is he going to um, hit those keys a little harder as he's typing an email? Maybe, right? That's that's human nature, right? So I think about a real estate agent writing a contract um, and they got a speeding ticket on the way to work and they're not having a super great Monday. Uh, can they do anything different on that contract? Not, not as far as I'm aware, right? It is what it is. It's the same thing. Um, we have a, uh, most of our loans are underwritten through AUS. So people I know have heard DU and LP, that's Fannie and Freddie. Um, so AUS leads the way at Movement. We underwrite to our, our AUS. It stands for Automated Underwriting System. Um, so we're underwriting to DU, we're underwriting to LP. We're not allowed to change the rules. We're, un- we're, we're underwriting to Fannie guidelines, to Freddie guidelines, to FHA guidelines. So yeah, if there's an opportunity for a little subjectivity, um, I believe that there is. But I don't see how it bleeds into a credit decision. I don't see how it, I, I don't believe that it could bleed into uh, impacting the borrower in any other way. We we say my my thing that I always say is it's my job to say yes to the yeses and no to the nos. Um, where we try to get inside of that is to take some of those nos and turn them into yeses, right? Um, but yeah, I think I think there could be a little subjectivity. I just don't I don't see how it bleeds in. I don't think it's a, it would be a major impact. And what's great about I, movement is the layers of leadership where you get this from me all the time. So even if John did get a speeding ticket on his way to work, it's gonna filter all the way up through me. Where if you call me, you're you're always gonna get this. You know, we're always gonna have this real relationship. And I work for every loan officer at Movement, so um, I think it's 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 always going to be customer service back. I love that little catchphrase because I'm big into like catchphrases. I get these little sayings and I say them all the time over and over and over again. And so I'm going to steal that one from you that the job of an underwriter is say yes to the yeses and say no to the no's. It's pretty black and white for the most part, right? It is. And last little question on the subjectivity. Is there any subjectivity at all when it comes to appraisal waivers? Tell me about an appraisal waiver and and that process. No, appraisal waivers are, that goes back to that that AUS that we were just talking about. Um, That is an algorithm, right? It's based on 
Computer uh, and there's people, yeah, there's people way smarter than me. It's based on the data, prior prior appraisals in the area, um, prior appraisals on that specific property. Uh, but it's a hundred percent data driven, and it's an algorithm. We are at the mercy of the system. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have a really unique perspective because you're kind of at a 30,000 foot level. You you get to see everything nationwide. Yeah. Movement yeah. has loan officers that are licensed and conducting business in all 50 states. And so you see everything in your role. And with this shift in the market that's happening right now, I want you to talk to us about what are you seeing from today's, I call them borrower profiles. Yeah. And, and to define what I mean by borrower profile, it's what do these credit reports look like? What does the credit profile look like? What does the job history and income look like? What do the assets look like? Checking, savings, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Right. That's a borrower profile. So tell us what are you seeing from today's borrower profiles and what story does this tell to the real estate agent community about where their opportunities lie moving right. forward? Right. Yeah, I think I think uh, as things continue to progress, right? Um, it's funny because you said yesterday as we scheduled this call, uh, the, the the Fed was going to be meeting it right around this time, I believe. Right. So I think we'll see more uh, in the coming months. Um, hopefully, it's it's you know something that. Uh, it's not an impact that we have to brace for. Uh, I think we all know that that we'll be we'll, we'll feel a little flatter right across the industry. Um, and I think that we'll see that in our borrower profiles as time progresses. Presently, we are seeing or I am seeing one of the things that I would preface it by is people don't call me on the 800 FICO W2 salary borrowers, right? Those go right past me to closing. When when I'm involved in a loan, it is because there is uh, the need for discussion, the need to get creative, the need to escalate up to the agencies. And in those in those files, we're seeing um, borrowers who are, uh, we're seeing a lot of variable income, right? Where your hourly and your hours fluctuate or overtime bonus commission tips. Those are all forms of variable income. Um, we're seeing a lot of, um, one thing that I've seen a lot of recently, and I think it's the, um, the afterburn of COVID is a lot of people in the nursing uh, field who switched to contract or travel nurses, right? And, uh, and it creates a new form of variability where we have to maybe see a new 12 month uh, gradient to, to average over, right? As far as credit profile, um, I think it's I think it's been pretty standard. Um, I think it, I think as rates increase, what what I believe we'll see, we've maybe started to see just the 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 a, a portion of um, is an opportunity for the more of the first time home buyers, more of the the borrowers who some might say are on a cusp, right? Um, I say they meet guidelines. Um, and borrowers who are millennials getting out of college and they're jumping on homeownership, maybe now because they uh, they are not competing with those those folks. Like you said, you talk about you know stocks and things like that. Borrowers who are, I mean, I'm not going to sell my Bitcoin right now, right? I would that would be crazy. Uh, there's a lot of folks who maybe I was going to be buying an investment property in the next six months and I was going to cash in stocks or or an investment. I can't do that right now. So did I just create an opening for someone to come by me? Uh, a well-qualified, but perhaps first-time homeowner, right? Um, a, a borrower, maybe on their first or second or third job, uh, someone who's climbing life's ladder. Um, so I think we're seeing the beginning of that. We'll begin to see more of that, I think, as, it, as, as those folks get to kind of catch up in the race, and which excites me. I think that that's, that's a, a, a group of people that I would target, right? Um, we already do a lot of loans for millennials. And I think that that's a number that I, my personal belief is that I think that number could, could uh, increase. As far as assets, it's exactly what you're seeing uh, or what we would expect. Um, I know you know, but for, for the folks at home, you know, Fannie and Freddie have a rule, right? Where if, if my down payment is, uh, or if my, if my asset equals 120% or greater, of my cash to close, we don't have to see liquidation, right? So I think I'm grateful for that guideline right now. We'll see if it if it holds uh, from uh, from Fannie and Freddie, but that that's something that we're going to see leverage more. Uh, someone who has plenty of money in their 401k and goes, "Oh man, I'm going to wait, but I'm I know I'm allowed to use it." So I think it'll be the next three to six months. I think it will be 
a um, a concentration of what we're talking what I'm you know what I'm talking about right now what we're seeing but it's going to be a lot of folks in in that first time home ownership spot taking the lead in the race I think yep yep yeah. and I I've been saying this myself and so I, I wanted to I wanted to hear you talk about it and touch on it because you're seeing it from the underwriting side of things and I want that third party uh, affirmation that this yeah. is happening so that uh, I my opinion is not uh, discredited or discounted <laughs> in any way validated but this is this is absolutely the time for those marginal buyers, the, the buyer profile that doesn't have that excess money for an appraisal shortage. And because they don't have that excess money for an appraisal shortage, they were getting beat up in those multiple oh, offer that's situations. That's a good point. That's a good it's, point. It's, yes. Right now, the more affluent home buyer has hit the pause button. They have left the playing field. They came off the court. We're in the midst of the NBA finals right now, right? Celtics yeah. are matched up against the Golden State Warriors. It's a great series. I'm wearing the basketball jersey. The starters, if you will, the starters that were in the game, the more affluent home buyers, they were on the they were on the court and they were seeing all the playing time, right? And right now they're they're exhausted, they're gassed, they need to take a seat on the bench. And you know, we're pulling people off the bench and throwing them into the game. That's today's first time home buyer. The the marginal credit, sometimes less than perfect credit. Maybe they need an FHA loan, sometimes down payment assistance. Uh, maybe they're getting gift funds from family to come up with the down payment. But as you said, from an underwriting perspective, your job is to say yes to the yeses and no to the no's. And yeah. you just go to the guidelines. And as long as that borrower profile meets guidelines, we can say yes. And so it's their time to shine. You know, the backups that are coming off the bench and they're on the court, like it's your time to get in the game. And now you need to put points up on the board It's and prove that you should stay in the game so that you don't have to go back on the bench because if the market turns uh, and improves in the not too distant future and i don't know if that's going to happen but if it were to happen if the stock market came back up if cryptocurrency came back up if bonds came back up and it created an opportunity to sell and liquidate those assets for a down payment to go and buy a house we're right back into that competitive marketplace where the first time homebuyer crowd is getting beat out by more qualified competition. So this is not a time for that crowd to hit the pause button. Now is the time to capitalize on this opportunity. Historically, the data shows that housing prices go up over time. Appreciation, rate of appreciation differs year by year, but over time, over the long haul, it tends to go up. And people that are buying houses, we're not day trading houses. We're not buying today and selling tomorrow. So whatever the market does in the next six months, 12 months, 24 months, it doesn't matter because the people should be buying those houses for five, seven, 10 years. And what we have learned from history and from that data is that it should appreciate over time. And with every monthly payment, you're making some payments towards principal. So whether you're building equity in the property with appreciation or whether you're building equity in the property with the monthly payments you're making, those are two major benefits to home ownership and, and makes it better than renting. And what I too have heard is that like, oh, the market's nuts and you know, mortgage rates are skyrocketing. And so I'm out, I tap out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit on the sidelines. I'm out of the game. Well, the, the decision to rent instead of purchase is not necessarily a logical decision. That is a feelings and emotions driven decision. If you make it a math problem, and I'm a finance nerd, I studied finance at the University of Washington before getting into mortgage lending. And so I can be as analytical as I need to be. And if you look at the numbers and you look at the facts and you make a logical decision instead of an emotional one, it's likely that your life and your finances and your wealth is going to be different as an owner five, 10, 15 years from now than it is if you rent. And if you continue to rent, you're doing nothing more than creating equity in your landlord's property. So right. yeah, I just yeah. want to drive saw, that point home. I, I saw something, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're in my position at a mortgage company that has as many employees as we do, um, when someone posts something on Facebook, everyone posts it on Facebook, right? So you see it 300 times in the morning. But one of the things that stayed with me was, um, I saw something the other day and it said, you're gonna pay a mortgage one way or another. 
It's just a question of if it's going to be yours or someone else's. And that's so simple. Um, but it's also kind of profound when you really, to your point, when you think about it from a non-emotional standpoint, uh, again, I'm in Virginia beach. The rental market here is, is insane right now. Um, and if, if, if I see other people leaving the market, if I see home prices, maybe they start to with the, with the rates being where they are and with people to your point, not wanting to come out and pay just astronomical amounts of money over list over value if that starts to quell or, or slow even a little bit and i'm a first-time home buyer i'm coming out of a rental and i'm not sure i think that that's at least a moment in time where i should sit and i should talk to a you right to your point and i i want a cost breakdown analysis i want to see either or i want to know that if i maybe i stay in that house for for it doesn't have to be the forever home right i mean right. i'm i'm barely a millennial but i'm a millennial and to, to i don't need the instagram house right now i need the house that that's two years and then i'm going to turn it into a rental and i'm going to i'm going to again climb my ladder so uh, yeah i think that's a great point about the being practical and and versus being emotional i think that's really eloquent well, some of the intricacies to the purchase contracts, right? Like let's talk real estate and let's yeah. talk real estate contracts. The, the key contingencies, if you're gonna run into competition, there's multiple buyers that are pursuing the same house. A lot of times it comes down to the contingencies in each respective yeah. contract and how competitive that offer looks to the seller and to the listing agent, right? right? And, and the three are financing, appraisal and inspection. And let's look at each of these contingencies through the lens of a lesser uh, qualified buyer or a less affluent buyer. If you're short on funds and you only have enough for down payment and closing costs, you don't have any excess money, you can just satisfy down payment and closing costs. By the letter of the law, by underwriting guidelines, you can get approval for that loan. You're good well to go. Well qualified borrower from but where I see. Yes. Yeah, so can yeah. we get a seller to accept right. that offer? And when it comes to uh, the 500 bucks, let's say that it costs for an inspection. I know I do a lot of business up in the Pacific Northwest and pre-inspections are very common when the market is very competitive. Right. And if you're paying $500 for an inspection on a home that you don't yet own, and then you're the buyer that gets beat out by competition. How many times can you pay $500, $500, $500, $500? Now all of a sudden that same first time home buyer, just because of the money they spent on pre-inspections doesn't have their down payment or they don't have enough to pay for closing costs. And then when you talk about like the appraisal contingency and the financing contingency, those are bets that you're betting as a buyer right, on yourself. Right. It's a gamble that you're taking, but it's a calculated decision. If you're working with the right loan officer and the right real estate agent, it's a calculated decision that you're making, but you can't logically, you cannot logically bet on yourself that you can waive an appraisal contingency or you can waive your financing contingency if you're not flush with cash. If you don't have that kind of money, right. if you don't have a family member that's backing you up to right. cover a shortage on an appraisal or something, like that's not a bet you can make. And so in a competitive situation, you are going to get beat on terms by other buyers that have a different profile. Thus, this is your time to shine. There's less competition, inventory is slowly creeping up, and there are a lot of sellers out there that are saying, hey, we've been on the market for a couple of weeks now, we're taking all comers, like, we'll take right. any offer, right. let's start negotiating. That's prime opportunity when they don't have any other offers to consider, to slip in, like make an offer at list price, ask for five or 10 grand towards closing costs and offer to pay list price, because you just want to start the negotiations process and maybe just maybe they'll sweeten the pot and contribute some money towards your closing costs, right? So yeah. it's a huge opportunity for that crowd. I want to ask you about the competitive labor market that we've had over these past few years. 
where unemployment has been very, very low for the most part, um, almost close to full employment really. And so that has triggered competition in the labor market where employers are offering incentives via compensation pay uh, to get people bait them over to a different job to their company. And then also, I think, you know, the writings on the wall that we're probably going to face an upcoming recession at some point. And with recessions come layoffs. And then if people are getting laid off, they're going to need to look for a different job. So whether it's choosing to make a, a change of employment because the pay is better elsewhere, or whether I'm changing employment because I've been laid off from one job and I need to get a new one, how long do people have to wait to qualify? Just touch a oh. little bit on like yeah, yeah. variable compensation. Totally. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's a great question. And, and where my brain also goes kind of on a different tangent, but I think it's, you know, one of the things back to your original, your, your previous question about what we're seeing a lot of is remote work, right? I mean, I'm, you're in my living room right now, right? I work from home now. Um, and, and that the impact that that had on, on, on our industry, right? Um, uh, somebody who is in Boston, who now they're buying in Montana because they work remote and they watch a lot of Yellowstone, you know, like it's, we get to go where we want to go a little bit more than, than we thought we ever could. And I think that that's really a, a neat and impactful, um, just data point. And I think that we'll, even in, in, in spite of the things that may be to come, I think we'll continue to see more of that. But as far as uh, your question, so um, I'll break it down into Fannie, Freddie, and then FHA, those are the most typical. Um, Fannie and Freddie don't have a prescription for any length of time, right? We, we, we would call it a gap of employment. Um, for starters, Fannie and Freddie don't define a gap of employment. There's no length of time. Um, so, so what we're really gonna be looking at is the type of income. If it's a type of income that requires a certain amount of time of receipt, like I said, like bonus, overtime, commission, that's, that needs to be 12 months. Um, if there was an interruption, then depending on how long an interruption is, and this is where it goes back to a little bit of subjectivity, but calling Fannie and Freddie, uh, if it's a month, you know, and, and you were a, a server and maybe you left the job or, or you were laid off and you go get a new job as a server and there, it's a one month gap and you had tips all the while, uh, I would look at, is it commensurate, right? I'd look at the metrics, things like that. Um, is it is it a similar kind of restaurant? You're making the same kind of money over the new time of receipt and I could average across them. Uh, but salary, things like that, there's no length of time. We're gonna look at, can we soundly rationalize that we believe that the income is stable, predictable, likely to continue? And one of the things that's, that's interesting there is you don't even have to have started the new job yet, right? A lot of people don't know that we can do loans for folks who, who are uh, employment is commencing after the note date or after closing. Um, in those instances, we'd get that offer letter. There would be no contingencies. There's there's a list of requirements that have to be met, but that's such a, a, a strong you know advantage, especially in this market. For FHA, FHA defines a gap of employment as more than six months. So if you have a borrower who who is less than six months, again, we'd be looking more about at the uh, type of income than we would the, uh, the, the, the gap, right? Uh, we would ask for an explanation. Hey, I, I lost my job. It took me four months. I'm back. I'm a math teacher. I'm a salary. Good to go. Um, more than six months, it, there's, there's a guideline on either side of that for FHA. So after that six month gap of employment, FHA says you have to be back at your current employer for six months. They, they measure that by the case number assignment. That's, that's completed when the appraisal is ordered. So we would wait. We could even get that borrower pre-approved if they were at five months, four months, whatever. Uh, and they would wait till they hit that six month mark. That's when we order our appraisal, excuse me, our appraisal. That's when our case number is assigned. And then on the other side of it, the prior side, we would want to document a two year employment history prior to the gap. So however far back we need to go, we're going to see two years, that block of gap, six months back on the current job. And then again, it's all type of income from there. How do we calculate it based on, on, on the receipt? Um, you may see people who fluctuate a little bit. There's no guidance there on a conventional loan. Again, it goes, just goes back to uh, being able to soundly ra uh, rationalize the income is stable, likely to continue. Um, FHA says if you have more than three job changes in 12 months that we're gonna look for um, increases up the, the proverbial ladder and pay or benefits. So maybe this job paid me more and then the next job was a better uh, 401k match. 
right? So we're going to look at documenting that you're not a job hopper, but that you're 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 seizing the day. You're taking on you know new responsibilities, new jobs that come with better benefits. Um, and then VA, they really want you in your job for a year. But same thing, if you if you were working in a factory and that factory closed down and you go out and find another job in a similar related line of work, similar pay structure, we'd look at bookending those together. Right, right. Yeah. All, all of these things that you've just been touching on about employment, variable income, it's a great segue into another question that someone had and that's about self-employment and how long people need to be self-employed and what can they do to really set themselves up for success if they can put a plan in place you know a year or two in advance what are the things that you would coach them on i also want to mention that there clearly there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to self-employment when it comes to an hourly rate employee when it comes to bonus or commission income lots going on and because it takes years and years of experience and knowledge of guidelines to be able to maneuver the different loan programs and be able to say yes to something. The problem I've run into as a loan officer in the market these past several years, while things have been rosy, rates were low, houses were flying off the shelves, is that everybody's in a rush to make things happen. And a lot of my competitors in the mortgage industry are quick to throw pre-approval letters out. Like you come in, you talk to me, we have a phone conversation, or somebody does an online application and gets an automated letter that hits their email inbox, like instant gratification. There's a lot of craziness going on with these pre-approval letters and they're not worth the piece of paper they're printed on, right? And so what, makes movement different when it comes to these borrower profiles. Do you see a lot of our loan officers trying to make these decisions and use their underwriting knowledge to to give out letters or is there any sort of fact checking that we do? Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I'll start with that and then I'll go backwards to self-employment. So movement offers what we call MBA. It's the movement buyer's advantage. It's uh, it's a underwritten pre-approval. There's not a property, you have a borrower, um, and and it's exactly what you're saying, especially now, especially now. Um, I used to use an analogy or, a, you know, a, a, a little quote, and um, it has more weight, sadly, now than ever. I used to say it was so important that we would MBA some of these borrowers so that we, the real estate agent wasn't wasting gas driving around showing them homes that they couldn't afford. And now, I mean, I, I don't know where it, what it is where you are, but uh, I, I mean, it's like six, it's like five and you know some change here. And um, and now more than ever, right? That that that's not funny anymore. It's a sad truth. So with uh, with our very borrowers who who receive you know some form of variable income. Uh, with our self-employed borrowers, where maybe the income is uh, it, it's more complicated. That, to your point, the calculation, um, the, the the documentation requirements, right? And then what's called a manual underwrite. So if you have a government loan, we were talking about DU and LP earlier. Those AUS systems, the R AUS system, the automated underwriting systems. Um, if those don't render an approval, there are opportunities to still actually approve that loan but you're doing it by hand, essentially. It's called a manual underwrite. It takes a certain caliber of underwriter. So presently, movement will take in for MBA pre-approval you know, underwrite, the, the variable borrowers, the self-employed borrowers, and, and files that we're looking at for a manual underwrite. Um, we also, I, I have to say it, because it's so, I think, key to our success. In, in that realm, we use a program called LoanBeam for our self-employed borrowers where we can run their self-employed tax returns through LoanBeam. And it's uh, it's great for a quick calculation. We also have an on-staff CPA. Their only job all day long is to calculate income for, for those self-employed borrowers. And I think that's a wonderful resource in this climate. It's always been incredibly impactful and resourceful, but right now, to know before you owe, it has never been more important in my career to know before you owe than it has than it is right now. So to be able to use those resources and to to outfit our, our sales partners with those resources, um, I mean, you know better than I do, right? But what kind of confidence must that give back back to what I was saying? We're serving our customers down the line, right? So if I'm serving you and giving you that information, that confidence, 
and the certainty of these are the numbers, what can you do? And you can take that back down the line, right? Oh, and then the no before you owe is so important at a time like this, where there's so much volatility in the marketplace. There's so many unknowns in housing and in the bond market and mortgage rates and getting this upfront underwrite. We're not talking about DU or LP. We're not talking about an approval just from automated underwriting. That's literally run with a click of a mouse button by a loan officer. It doesn't even require any underwriting expertise. It's not truly being fact checked by an expert, right? And so the level of confidence and conviction that you have going out into the marketplace as a buyer, as an agent that is committing time and energy to serving that buyer, getting sellers and listing agents to entertain offers from these buyers. There's so many people's time and energy that's going into this. It just makes sense to do all that heavy lifting up front, right? The separations in the preparation. So you can make an offer with confidence. You can close faster because it's already been underwritten. So you, if there are any stipulations or conditions that you need to gather to complete a file, you can already be working on getting those conditions in the mortgage file before the client ever has a property under contract. Like it's an unbelievable competitive advantage. And I've tried to lean into this as like for years, I was trying to do upfront underwriting before it was a thing. Now, you know, a lot more people have gotten on board, but I think uh, the takeaway for a lot of people watching this is going to be like, this is next level. Like these people are special, their commitment to serving others and seeing people have success. And it's not just are buyer clients. It's not right. just the user of our mortgage. It's the ripple effect that it has on the buyer's agent that's working with that buyer that's going to earn a commission as their livelihood. It's the listing agent that earns a commission. It's the seller that was looking to cash in their chips and move on with life, do something else, downsize, move to a different state. There's so many different people that it touches and that's what drives us. And I think that it's fair to say it's what drives you. Um, and that's what we're all about here is serving others. So I want to, I want to wrap things up with, okay, here's the, the biggest softball of all. And I'm going to do my best to turn my underwriter into a salesperson. All right, let's go. What makes the movement mortgage underwriting department bigger, faster, stronger than our competition? Man, I mean, there. I could say a lot of stuff and I will, I know I'm long-winded, but I, ha I have to start and I'll probably end with culture. Our culture, our co-founders, Toby and Casey, um, they instilled in all of us a, a fundamental, not a belief, but a knowledge, a, a, a true certainty that um, that I work for the loan officer. And, and I mean, to, to, to know who my customer is and then to, to work for someone, Jason Stanger, my boss, our COO, um, uh, says all the time, we want to be the Chick-fil-A of mortgages, right? And that's not a, um, a platitude, right? That, yeah, I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a, a grab, right? That's, that's in behind closed doors. That's to me, that's to my coworkers. Um, that's probably never been shared externally until maybe right now. Um, and it's a fundamental belief that we want to show up every day for our customers and and we know the byproduct right i know the byproduct is like you were saying putting those people in homes getting those pictures from closing but my responsibility is to go to work for the loan officer um to to uh, you're james bond i'm q right and i love it right i want to outfit you with all the gadgets and the knowledge and the resources and have you out there in the field looking like a rock star for your realtor partners and for your for your customers. And, and so it's it's gotta be culture. Behind culture, we have a phenomenal process, um, our 671, right? 671 is our six hours to underwrite, seven days to process, one day to close. And and that's, that's what we've stuck to. That's what we've built our success on. Um, our underwriters are uh, true believers of it. They're incentivized by it and it's it's just, it's as you know real as oxygen, right? It's just part of. It's just I'm not you know. It's just it's there every day, um, and then our our ability to work together with sales. Aside from just the customer, you said something a little while ago. You talked about how we have loan officers in all 50 states, right? We're, we have licensed loan officers in all 50 states. I tell 
people that are non-industry professionals, friends, family. Uh, when I talk about movement, I always say I have family in 50 states. And I, and I believe that. I was just out in San Diego. Uh, your market leader, RJ, I didn't stay at a hotel. I stayed at his house, right? Uh, I have family in all 50 states. Uh, I love my coworkers in ops and in sales. Um, and, then, and then as far as just the job, the day-to-day, an underwriter of movement can only say yes. They're only allowed to say yes. Do you imagine how, how happy you would be at any job where you're in customer service, where you specifically are only allowed to say yes to the customer, right? If, if it's a no, right? And yeah, of course we have declines. We have files that we're not able to do, but those go through such a process. It's such a sieve. They're filtered through so many different departments um, and they're given so much opportunity and thought and they're it's it's that Rubik's cube, right? Like I said, they're twist and turn. And but our underwriters are not allowed to deny a file. They're, they it has to go through a form of second level review. Um, and so and it's not passing the buck. It's 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 hey, my job is to say yes. If I don't think I can say yes to this, I send it to my manager. Then it goes to their manager. Often it comes to me. Then it goes to a credit risk department, um, and they would process that formal denial. So you're not bogged down with the negativity of um of having to say no but you're also um you're you're given that that opportunity that autonomy that agency to say yes and to to be an agent of change so um yeah i mean it's it's got to be it's got to be a combination of all those things in my opinion i mean where else where else are you going to go work at a company or work with a company where where the me the guy in charge of underwriting has, and I know you know this, but I'm the only guy in the company that has moved mortgage tattooed on my leg, right? Or on me in general, right? I mean, I love this place. I love this company. I love what we get to do, not just for, for our customers, but together. So I think, I think that's gotta be why we're so, not just different, but special. I love it. You wanna try and show that real quick? Yeah, I for don't know sure, if you man. can even get I that gotta, on camera. Well, I, You're as a ways long as back. nobody judges that I'm wearing Movement Crocs, right? So, I mean, Movement Heck Hat yeah. is a t-shirt. But I got the Movement Crocs on, but can you see that? Does it show up well? Yeah, I can yeah. see it. There's a circle around the MM, right? Hey, listen, and I- for anybody that for anybody that doesn't believe this, I took a I took a picture of this myself right. a couple of weeks that's ago. Right. So I've got the proof, I can send it to you, you know, just message me and I'll send it to you via DM. Well, I super appreciate your time, Ryan. I mean, you know, to wrap things up on my end, the, the mission at Movement starts out that we exist to love and value people. And I hope you felt that in watching this, that even in our underwriting world, uh, the people that are hidden behind the scenes, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains, they all love you too. I love you, he loves you. Everybody's trying to say yes. We're a yes culture. We wanna make deals work. We wanna to, to get those houses. And we know that that's what pays the bills for all of us. So um, don't hesitate to reach out. If you guys have any follow-up questions that we didn't touch on, send them to me and I can circle around with Ryan and get those answered for you. And I hope you guys have an awesome summer. Take care.